Today is the day that we are remembering the persecuted church as we take time to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. And I have to say that uh, I really appreciate this day. We should be thinking about them all of the time. Uh, But it is an important reminder of the state that the worldwide church is in. There are times that we feel that we have it difficult here. I know there are people who can remember times when uh, when Christianity was such a, an important part of Canadian culture that it was just expected that you would show up at church and it was just part of being a, a, a good Canadian citizen. You would partake in, in worship, you would uh, regularly attend, uh, prayers would be said outwards, uh, and it was just something out in the open. And now we live in a post-Christian culture in which uh, cultural Christianity is no longer there. People don't come to church just because it's the respectable thing to do. Rather, we have people coming to church because uh, they believe that this is what they want to do. They have a desire to worship. But we, can, we have a sense of loss there, that something has, has been taken away. And we might feel that we are a church under siege as uh, our country is becoming more and more secular. And yet, we are not experiencing persecution there is still a tremendous amount of freedom. And I've shared with you uh, lately about my experience as a chaplain uh, in the Canadian Armed Forces. Just the fact that they allow uh, Christians, as well as people from other religions, to come in uh, to uh, spend time with troops and to be able to minister to them, and that the government uh, equips us, trains us, and even pays us to do that, that tells us that we are not living in persecution in this country. But there are many countries in which people are being persecuted. And sometimes the struggle that I have is uh, how how I am to look at those Christians and how I am to look at the persecuted church. Because there's a a couple of feelings that that go through my mind. On one side, there's some pity. You know, when I think about people uh, who are... Uh, showing up at church, uh, and not, definitely not in a uh, church building like this, and they don't know what's going to happen, and there's a visitor there, and is that a visitor of a person who is seeking to know the Lord, or is it a government agent who's there to report on who is uh, showing up for church and who are uh, participating in forbidden activities? Uh, we hear stories of people who are being executed, and there was all kinds of stories of that happening uh, from ISIS in uh, Iraq and Syria, and a tremendous amount of persecution happened there. So there, uh, on one hand, we can look and we can feel sorry. We think, oh, it, it's so terrible that that is happening, which, of course, it is, and we should have those feelings of empathy towards them. And then on another side, we can look up to them almost as hero worship because we hear the stories of how they are responding, that they, the level of faith that they have, that they are willing to submit to torture and to execution, that they are willing to put their lives on the line for the sake of their faith. How do we respond to these things? Is there a place for grieving what is happening around the world? Or should we simply celebrate the fact that there are faithful Christians who are so sold out to Jesus, they are willing to give their lives? 
Well, I would say that there is a place for us to grieve and that it is appropriate for us to grieve. Of course, we want to celebrate their faith. We want to be inspired by their faith, but we need to grieve as well. We might have trouble uh, identifying with the persecuted church, but there are other reasons for us to grieve. I know uh, within this congregation, uh, there are many people here who are grieving for various reasons. Uh, The grieving may be uh, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a parent, the loss of a sibling. Uh, It could be uh, a relationship that has broken up. It could be uh, the loss of good health. It could be the loss of a job. It could be anything. There's all kinds of things. And we need to ask, is it appropriate for us to grieve? Or as Christians, is this something that we should just push aside? Well, in the passage that we had read to us from 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul tells us, that we are not to grieve like the rest. But that's not all he says. That's not saying we are not to grieve. He says we are not to grieve like the rest who have no hope. And that's what I want to focus on, that there is a way for us to grieve, there is a way for us to acknowledge pain, but it is not a grief without hope. I have seen grief without hope. And that is not Christian grief. And so we're going to take a look at what this looks like and what this means for us today. So first of all, I need to explain to you why Paul even wrote this letter. And it's really important. And it's in many ways, it's so hard for us to understand the situation that was going on here because it's so foreign to our way of thinking. Uh, When we hear about a Christian who dies... We simply think, okay, uh, we grieve the loss, of course, but we think, well, that person is now in heaven with Jesus. And so there's a a reason to celebrate there. And so that might be some of the first thoughts that come to mind. But in the earliest church, they weren't necessarily thinking exactly that way. In the earliest church, they believed that Jesus was going to come back within their lifetime. So uh, Jesus had died on the cross. He rose again on the third day. He ascended to heaven. Uh, and then uh, after he went to heaven, he promised, he promised that he was going to come back. And when he would come back, it would be the day of resurrection. It would be the, the day when uh, people would be raised from the dead. And so people look forward to that time. But not only the, the re- resurrection of the dead, he, uh, the church was waiting for Jesus to come back and to welcome his people and to transform them. And so their hope was in that of the resurrection. They weren't thinking so much of being a disembodied spirit up in heaven. They were looking for the resurrection. And so in their thought, what would happen is uh, they would live their life and uh, they would be going about their their daily duties and, and living as a follower of Jesus. But then Jesus would come back and transform them and then they would go and live all eternity. But in Thessalonica, some of these Christians are noticing, well, some of our friends are dying. They, they, for whatever reason, they get sick or there's an accident or something happens and they die. And they begin to panic. Like, what's going to happen to them? Because they've died, but Jesus hasn't returned yet. What's going to happen to them? And Paul explains to them that what is going to happen is something that is uh, available to Christians who are alive and Christians who are dead. And so the image he uses is of Jesus returning almost like uh, how a king would come and uh, uh, 
come to visit its city to uh, demonstrate that he has authority in that place and that the, uh, there would be um, messengers who would announce the coming of the king and people would go out and they would greet the king and welcome him into the city. And that's how the return of Jesus is described. So the angels are, are blowing their trumpets and, and there's shouts of, of welcome. And what will happen is that the dead will rise first. They will be transformed. They will receive new bodies that are built for eternity. And then the same thing will happen to those Christians who are alive at the time when Jesus comes. And so what Paul is trying to tell them is that we uh, can grieve that there is, there is real loss that takes place. This is biblical. We read from Psalm 31, which is a psalm of lament. So there's a place for grieving. But there's a reason for us to have hope as well. And the reason for that hope is the resurrection, the belief that Jesus would come again. And this is not as simple as life after death, because what Paul is doing is he's working out something that was already there in the Old Testament, something called the Day of the Lord. And what the Day of the Lord was, was that people recognize that there are good people who are suffering and bad people who are prospering. And they knew that that's not right. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And so the prophets spoke of a coming day of the Lord when everything would be made right. When things are all off kilter right now, they will be readjusted, they will be fixed, and they will work the way they are supposed to work. And that is the day of the Lord. And that day of the Lord is going to be when Jesus comes back. And what he's going to offer there is not just life after death, but rather there's going to be justice. Things are going to be made right. We're going to recognize things the way they are supposed to be. So what does this mean for us? Well, when we look at the persecuted church, they are experiencing real difficulties. And we should not fluff that off. We shouldn't just lift them up and put them on a pedestal and say, they are these great saints who are so much better than us. There's a real reason to grieve. Because maybe in our mind, we are picturing uh, this, this adult Christian who's standing bravely there and willing to be crucified on a cross or burnt at the stake or stoned by rocks. But oftentimes, those families are not just losing themselves, but they're making a choice that's going to affect their children. Uh, maybe their children will be taken away. Maybe their children will be tortured. Maybe their children will be executed. There are terrible consequences that will happen. Uh, we should move out of this idealized state saying that these things are so good. In fact, when we go to the book of Revelation, uh, in the book of Revelation, we see that there's this image of the saints, and they're, they're, these are martyrs. These are people uh, like our current persecuted church who have died for their faith. And their call is, how long, how long, O Lord, will you allow this to happen? How long before Jesus comes back and fixes things and makes things the way it's supposed to be? Uh, the, the, the martyrs in heaven are acknowledging that this is not the way it is, and they are mourning and grieving the state of the way things have been. And so there is a place for us to just uh, enter into lament. Uh, we can lament uh, not just for uh, ourselves, but we can lament for what is taking place 
elsewhere, when we hear about things that are happening in China, when we hear about things that are happening in different places in the Middle East, we should grieve and lament with our brothers and sisters. But lament is not grief without hope. Lament is always something that includes hope. And we found that in that Psalm 31, where where the psalmist concludes on a word of hope. And there's hope because Jesus is coming back. There is hope because there is a resurrection coming. There is hope because the day of the Lord will make things right. Well, what about for us here in this place, when we think about the things that we're grieving about, when we think about our friends and family, when we're thinking about uh, those who are suffering, how do we respond? Well, some people do believe that they shouldn't grieve, that it's wrong to shed a tear or it's uh, wrong to be upset, that it's wrong to, to feel depressed or to feel anxious about the things that are happening. And it's not wrong. Uh, the Bible invites us into that. In my own uh, Bible reading, uh, my devotional time right now, I'm going through the book of Job. And Job just continually goes back and says to God, if only I could come to you, only, if only I could present my case to you, if only I could just explain to you how bad things are, how I feel about losing my family, about losing my health and everything else. Uh, God, I just feel terrible about what's going on and I'm really, really struggling. That's the message of Job. And it is perfectly appropriate for us to bring that message to God when we're upset about what has happened. We're upset that we lost that loved one, and we should be upset, and we can go to God with that. But it is not grief without hope. We have a hope. We have a hope in the resurrection that God cares about our loved ones who have passed on before us, so much so that when Jesus returns, those who have died get priority of place, that God will welcome them first before he welcomes those who are still alive at the coming of the Lord. It is a a reminder for us that God cares deeply about all of this and that there is hope. This is not something that we should just say, well, at least they have eternal life, at least they have life after death. Uh, We enter into into the grief. We acknowledge our hurt but always keep that hurt in the shadow of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Grief is actually a skill that we need to work on. Uh, People think that it's something that is easy, that it's something that just comes natural, that uh, when you lose something, you, you feel bad, you feel down, there, I have grieved properly. But that's not necessarily the case. Oftentimes, we fight against the grief. We try to push it aside. Maybe it's even because of our faith. We think, well, if I'm a real follower of Jesus, I'm not going to feel bad about this. I should just be happy all the time. I should just be smiling all the time. No, that's not what the Bible invites us to. The Bible invites us into true grief. But the Bible also invites us into hope, invites us to know that what is happening in that moment is not the end of the story, That God has already written a conclusion as to how things will go. And that includes Jesus coming back and making everything right. We don't know the details of how all that will happen. Uh, And I have, to be honest, I'm not so much interested in those details as simply to know the big picture. That God has this. That he has it in his hands. 
that he's going to take care of things, and that we can trust him no matter how bad things might get in this life. Let us pray.